Our Father God, we lift up tonight. We ask you to move in glory and power and strong anointing. Lord, I ask you in Jesus' mighty name right now that you'll help that the atmosphere of heaven increase, that your anointing will increase. Lord, let the glory increase. And Lord, I ask you that you'll captivate every single person within the sound of my voice, that they will be good fertile soil for the work of the Spirit of God and the Word of God right now. Lord, that you'll anoint eyes to see and ears to hear. Let this Word go out as penetrating light of truth that will shine in every dark place and dispel the darkness and the lies and the deception of the evil one. But Lord, that will establish truth and righteousness. Lord, let your word go forth as living seeds sown into that good fertile soil. I pray your word will be as a hammer tonight that shatters strongholds of the enemy and brings a breakthrough, even hardness in the heart be broken. And Lord, I pray that your word will be as a sword, Lord, that goes forth and cuts away what's not of your kingdom and what needs to be removed, like a circumcision of cutting away. Lord, I thank you for it. And Lord, let this word go forth in a strong anointing tonight as you speak through me. And Lord, let it be established. Not just something that's heard, but something that penetrates, has retention, and is established tonight. We ask you for something significant. Lord, something that there's such an anointing on it tonight that it will have long-term lasting effects in every life. Every person that sees and hears this. Lord, as it is brought to them and revealed to them, Lord, I pray that give them eyes and ears of the Spirit that it's not just heard on a superficial level, but Lord, there'll be divine revelation that flows in this sermon and discernment and clarity. Lord, that we will see what the Spirit is speaking. We will hear what the Spirit is, is uh, saying to us. Let it come, Lord, in Jesus' name. We thank you for it now. And Lord, we bind away any hindrance of the enemy that would try to steal this or hinder this in any way. We bind it now in the name of Jesus. All right. Got a powerful word tonight on heaven's culture. You want to take notes or whatever, just really give me your best ear tonight. This is an extremely important sermon. All right. Proverbs 1.20. I just want to focus on this part. It says, wisdom cries out. I mean, knows that wisdom is crying out. And not everybody hears the voice of wisdom. As a matter of fact, I would say that most people don't. But there's a remnant of people that can hear the voice of wisdom crying out. Proverbs 23.23 says, buy the truth and don't sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. But think about it. Buy the truth and don't sell it. What you've got to understand is some things with God are, are going to be earned over time. I'm not talking about things that are paid for on the cross. I'm talking about authority, especially spiritual authority, because God does not entrust everybody with spiritual authority. A lot of people cannot handle it at all. And I'm going to get into that. But buy the truth and don't sell it. I'm going to read something from Rick Joyner out of his book, The Apostolic Ministry. 
But let me just read this first phrase and then I'm going to get to the rest of it. But it says, The enemy will try to take advantage of this to make them bitter and rebellious, as he knows this will be the most effective way that he can disqualify them from their purpose. When I was preparing for this sermon, the Lord really spoke to me to preach it straight. That's what he told me. In other words, he was telling me to, to preach it like it is, kind of strong. This isn't a rebuke at anybody or anything like that, but I do believe it's dealing with some strongholds. And I'm talking about in the minds. But let me read to you something that Rick Joyner wrote you know, prophetically. This was probably 10 years ago that he wrote this. So I do believe there's been some advances that have been made from this prophetic word. But about 10 years ago, he wrote this. He said, For the last few years, I've been given visions of a very unique and still quite small spiritual force that is being prepared in different places around the world. Those who are part of this force have the most fierce resolution in their purpose than I have ever witnessed. In fact, whenever I think of them, this is the first thing that comes to mind. They are profoundly sure of who they are and where they are going. They also have an uncompromising devotion to the truth and integrity. Even though they tend to be severe in their demeanor, they are driven by their love for God and people. They also may be the most supernaturally powerful people who have ever walked on the earth at one time. These will be known as His messengers of power and will be walking coals of fire from the very throne of God who helps set off revival and moves of God wherever they are sent. There's more that I'm going to read, but let me just stop there. There's a difference between a hunger for God and a lust for power. People that have a lust for power, it's like an, it's like an iniquity drive within them. That is not at all what we're talking about. That's evil. We're talking about a hunger for the things of God. So check yourself and make sure that your so-called hunger for God is in fact a hunger for God and not a lust for power. Because there's people that get into the occult because they lust for power. They have a lust for some kind of supernatural power. I've seen people that have spent some time, carpet time, rolling around laughing, shaking, falling under the power of God just to get up and get away from God one day. So apparently it was just an emotional experience. That's the only thing I can conclude. But God's looking for something a little deeper than that. Amen? That's like the people that once they get off their honeymoon, honeymoon phase in their marriage, they decide they're just bored with it and leave. There's got to be some kind of a commitment. Amen? Is it okay that I just preach it straight tonight? Just tell it like it is? Alright, let me reread that sentence and then keep going. Rick said, These may also be the most supernaturally powerful people who have ever walked on the earth at one time. These will be known as the messengers of His power, and they will be walking coals of fire from the very throne of God who helps set off revival and moves of God wherever they are sent. These messengers of power are presently alive and scattered all over the earth. It is hard to find more than a handful who are together in any one place at this time. That was 10 years ago. Though, they will begin to congregate more in a few places. Even so, a congregation that has just two of these at this time is, is, is exceptional. Many congregations cannot stand, please hear this, many congregations out there cannot stand the fire that is on these emerging ones, and they will either have driven them away or will try to drive them away. Because the fire is an irritant to them. Because they're not there. 
They are having a hard time fitting in with the church in its present state. They are marching to a different drumbeat, a different sound. The enemy will try to take advantage of this to make them bitter and rebellious as he knows this will be the most effective way that he can disqualify them from their purpose, even though they may resist becoming bitter or rebellious, most of these are way too focused and serious to fit into the typical church life as it is at this time. Because of this, the Lord is even now preparing places for them where they can join with others who are called as they are. These are God's special forces. If we understand them, many unnecessary problems can be avoided. And the whole church can greatly benefit from their ministry. One of the most important tasks of our military special forces is to train other native forces in special operations and tactics. Likewise, these spiritual special forces will be sent all over the world to train native Christian leaders where great spiritual advances are about to begin. They are the true apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who will fulfill the Ephesians 4 mandate to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. This is a powerful prophetic revelation straight from the Lord. And I believe with all my heart that some people within the sound of my voice are called to this. But let me just say it like it is. So have other people before you that are now disqualified. So do not think for a minute that you're high and mighty and that others may fall and you won't. You know, there was a preacher one time that got up and he was angry about, he, had, he knew another preacher had fallen into sin and he got up and, in a public forum and he said, I would never cheat on my wife. You know, he was just... Before the next year came around and that same conference happened, before... He had already fallen in sin. The Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Doesn't it? So some of you may be called to this, but it doesn't mean that you're qualified yet. All of us have to be tested and found to be true. All of us have to go through a process. The Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. Meaning you've got to pay a price counting the cost and going through the process so that God can entrust you with spiritual authority. Now, I say this with love and humility, but one of the things that concerns me is making sure that people under my authority don't get too caught up operating and functioning under the anointing or the mantle that's on my life, and I say that with humility, that they don't develop their own anointing and their own gifting and calling and function in that for themselves one day. Because what's going to happen to them one day when God calls them to the next thing? You've got to have something for yourself. You've got to pay a price. You've got to go through the process where God is equipping you and preparing you for something. I believe with all my heart that God has, has allowed River of Life to be something unique and special. I do. I believe it's a gathering place for people like this that Rick's talking about that are hot coals from the throne that God is wanting to prepare you. But I warn you by the Spirit of God, I warn you that there have been others that have had the same calling that are not even walking with God today. You know better than them. I'm no better than them. Let's take heed, lest we fall. Some of them are out of the will of God. Some of them have been disqualified. 
And the very calling and the mantle that God had for them now is laying on the ground. And God's wanting somebody else to pick it up. And I just hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, can I trust somebody with it? Is there somebody that I can trust with it? You see, you may say to yourself, oh, I can do it. Really? We'll see where you are two years from now. As I've learned in the ministry, there's people my wife and I looked at and we thought, oh, good Lord, we love them, we bless them. But, that, you know, we thought to ourselves, there's no way that they're going to be able to sustain, you know. And they turned out to be awesome. There's other people that we thought to ourselves, you know, man, this person has so much potential. They're going to do, and man, they end up being, you know, like a Judas, a Jezebel, a troublemaker, and disappointed us so bad. You know, I've learned that I don't know those things. Only God knows those things. I preach the word. I pray for people. But I don't put a lot in people anymore. I let the Lord do that. I just simply love Jesus, love people, preach the word, pray for people. I'm here to answer questions. But I don't know two years from now who's going to be standing and who's going to be falling. Only God knows. Who knows in two years from now somebody that's been rolling around this floor and the power of God's going to be an atheist, a witch, a homosexual. A child molester. Away from God. Out of church. I don't know. God knows. Or backslidden. Dead Christians somewhere. Not doing anything for God. They had great potential. But didn't do anything of significance. And Satan wants to get people bitter. He wants to get them rebellious. He wants to get them prideful. These are some things I'm going to talk about tonight. We have to let some things from the Lord really get deep down in us. Where it becomes a culture. We have to let some things move from just being a temporary attitude to where it gets deeply ingrained into our spiritual DNA and who we are. How many knows revival begins in the hearts of men? People think what begins in a location, a building, a place, whatever. You know, it doesn't. It begins in the heart of an individual first. And I'm going to tell you, God does not give revival a lot of times to groups of people. You may think, well, that's not true. But I'm going to tell you that it is, in fact, true. Because God has to find a man or a woman that has a heart that he can entrust to oversee that thing. And that means that they're going to have to go through a process, a wilderness time, where God gets all the junk out like a Moses, where they get stuck on the backside of the desert. Yeah, they got taken out of Egypt. Now God's got to spend those years get Egypt out of them. And then once all of that's done, then they can have the burning bush experience and they can come back and see great revival with signs and wonders. God really entrusts revival to an individual, really. And then the people that will humble themselves and serve that revival as well. But he doesn't entrust it to denominations, organizations. You know, do you see what I'm saying? God's looking at the heart of an individual, not a political structure. He wants to see, can they handle a move of my spirit? Will they be faithful? Now I'm going to tell you something. We got to watch out also. We talk about a lot of other satanic attacks. Well, what about an Ahab spirit? Let's talk about that for a minute. What about passivity? And not dealing with stuff. See, an Ahab spirit is something that's very subtle and attacks leaders. 
and tries to get them where they're, they're intimidated to deal with stuff. Intimidated to say no. And I'm going to tell you something. Rebellion, I remember during, and I'm going to talk about revivals tonight. That's okay. I've studied revivals and I have a heart for revival. And I remember during the Brownsville revival, they, you know, pastor of that revival laid it out and said, look, altar workers, here's what we're going to do and here's what we're not going to do. You're going to pray for people this way and you're not going to pray for them this way. You're going to lay hands on their forehead, but you're not going to lay hands on this part of their anatomy. This is the way we're doing it and that's it. And there were people that ignored that and did it their own way. And the pastor had to call them down. He had to remove them from the altar ministry. You know why? Because God will not bless rebellion. He will not flow through rebellion. And if those people kept praying for people in a rebellious spirit, pretty soon it would have become demonic. Are you hearing me? And God wants to see... See, David did for spiritual authority what... Um, Abraham did for faith. But you know how David got tested? See, some people out there, they think, oh, it's so hard. This authority figure, they're just so rough. and yeah, I just can't handle it. And it's like, well, let's look at the life of King David for a minute. Is your authority figure trying to take a spear and trying to stab you through the chest and pin you to a wall and kill you? Have they gathered men unto themselves with swords and chased you where you're homeless and they're trying to cut your head off? Have you gone through that yet? People act like spiritual authority is so bad. I just can't. They're so rough. They, you know, they just have to correct me. It's so hard. Well, friend, welcome to reality. I mean, hello. Amen? And whenever King David was out there wandering through caves, God was testing him because he knew that if David would stay humble and he would not raise his hand against God's anointed, and if he would honor that authority, even though it was evil as you can imagine, then God knew, I can entrust that man with great authority. See, God will not entrust anybody with spiritual authority until they learn how to submit to authority and honor authority. It won't happen. That's just the way it is. And when you look at the life of King David, King David was the only man in the Bible that had a triple anointing on his life. Nobody, nobody had a triple anointing except David. He was anointed by Samuel. He was anointed in Hebron. He was anointed over Israel. He had a triple anointing on his life and, and great exploits. He, did, he, did, he had such spiritual authority from the Lord. He subdued his enemies. He broke through that stronghold of the Jebusites and made it Jerusalem. Did great things for the Lord. But he had to first go through the time of being persecuted by spiritual authority. Think about it. There's people out there that have nice pastors that can't even have a good attitude toward them. They don't have a King Saul that's pulling a sword out and chasing them, trying to kill them. But David, even in the most adverse circumstances, he said, I will not lift up my hand against King Saul. He is God's anointed. God put him in that position. I will not lift a finger against him. I will not try to usurp his authority. I'm not going to try to prematurely take the throne. I'm going to let God deal with all of that. And God dealt with it in his time. There's pastors out there that week in and week out, they have to preach and they know that there's people out there that can't stand them in the congregation. They have it on their face. You can see it. I've, I've been in situations where I've preached. You can see it on people's face. They can't stand you. And, you. and you have to humble yourself. What do you do with that? You know? Put yourself in their shoes. 
You're trying to preach the word of the Lord to some, some people that can't stand you. You have to humble yourself, die to yourself, and still wash their feet. You have to still humble yourself. Turn the other cheek and still preach and minister. And then they want to come up a lot of times. They want prayer. Pastor so-and-so, I need prayer about this, that, and the other. And you still pray for them and love them, even though you know deep down their greatest enemy is not the devil, it's them. Well, so here's some things that we've got to get down in within us. Number one is true holiness. Not legalism, but true holiness. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. But without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I know whenever I was young in the Lord, I had no idea what was in front of me. I had no idea. I had no idea what I'd signed up for. You know, some people, they get in the... You know, when I went to the ministry, I had no idea. I'm just going to be real and just transparent tonight. But I honestly thought that, that Christian people in churches, by and large, everybody was real loving and kind and gracious. And I came to find out that there's some of the meanest people that are in the church world by far than in the world. I worked with nicer people in secular jobs that were atheists. I mean, and I, I could not believe the situation, the status of the body of Christ. It blew me away. There were people that would lie just as soon as, as you know, they would lie about anything. They would lie when the truth sounded better. There's people that would spread gossip. But as I got in the ministry and started going through all this stuff, I had no idea in my own personal life, though. I wanted so bad. I had went to a pastor and I asked him to, to mentor me and help me because I was only about, I'd only been saved by a year, year and a half. And I was just, it was at a small church. I was with uh, a small group of young people. God had me in that place. And I'd went to him wanting to be discipled. I didn't know anything about the ministry. And, of course, he was really rude about it. He had absolutely no time for me. And that was fine. But the truth of the matter is, is I really needed that. And I found that the leadership there was cold as ice. There's no grace. There's no mercy. Very little love. See, some people think the way they talk is once you get saved, you should be just perfect. You shouldn't have any flaws. You shouldn't have any problems. But that's not the way it is. And I needed a lot of inner healing. I needed to be delivered from some things. I needed to be discipled. I had no idea about spiritual warfare. I had no idea about how to pray. I didn't know anything. And I, and I really wanted somebody to mentor me and disciple me. It just they weren't going to do it. They didn't have time and they didn't care. And I remember though it drove me into a desperate place of seeking the Lord. Because I was seeing that my life... Even though I'd been saved for you know a couple years and I wanted to serve the Lord, my heart was sincere that my life that I was still having struggles. I didn't understand the deliverance ministry. I didn't understand why there were still issues in my life that were pulling me and, and, and the torment from past sins that were still haunting me and I prayed about it and I didn't understand why. Why is this still there? And whenever I wanted to be free and talk to people, they didn't understand. They didn't understand what I was going through. They weren't there for me and I was alone. And I found myself alone seeking God in a sanctuary by myself. 
but it wasn't a bad place to be. I never did really find too much in that area of mentoring. But I tell you what, the Lord knows how to find you where you are. And even though I made some mistakes in, in my early walk in Christianity and I struggled, you know, the thing is God finally taught me what I needed to learn. See, the way some people talk, let me say it again, they think that once you're saved you should just be perfect. And this breeds a lot of condemnation and guilt on people. Because people that have sincere hearts and want to live for the Lord still have to be taught some things. You know, they're just baby Christians. They have to learn how to pray and die to the flesh. They have to learn how to renew their mind and grow in faith. They have to learn the tactics of the enemy and how to overcome temptation. This isn't stuff that's just once they get saved, it's just automatically just there. You know, I mean, this is stuff they have to be discipled into. Many people need a lot of inner healing and personal deliverance in their life. And they need to be brought from a place of where they're struggling to a place of victory. That's how Jesus is. He doesn't throw people away like a piece of trash. He doesn't look at somebody and save them and think, well, you're not perfect, so, you know, and just throw them off to the side. That's not Jesus. That's religious people and religious demons, but it's not people. I'm sorry, it's not the Lord. The Lord doesn't do that. And so with that said, you will never truly defeat Satan through fear. Amen? Let me give you an example. Some people have this fear of being deceived. Well, probably at some point you will be if you don't get over that. The Bible, in the book of Job, it says, the very thing I feared came upon me. You're not going to defeat the devil through fear. You defeat the devil by having faith in God. So you have faith in God to keep you from deception. It's not the fear of deception that's going to keep you. It's the faith in God to keep you from deception that will keep you. Was it not the Apostle Paul that said, I know in whom I believe. And I persuaded he's able to keep that which has been entrusted to me until that day. He had faith in God to keep him. You will never truly defeat Satan through religion. You will never truly defeat Satan in pride or rebellion. You defeat the devil through humility and righteousness. So we've got to get to a place where you realize where you need to be spiritually and you realize where you're at, but that you have determined that you are going to go after God with all your heart until you get to the place where you need to be spiritually. That you're not going to justify this sin, that you're not going to give up along the way just because it's hard, but you're going to do whatever it takes to really live a righteous life. If that means you've got to throw something out of your life, if that means you've got to lose friends, if that means that you've got to give things up, if that means that you've got to learn how to renew your mind and it seems almost impossible at first, you've got to go deeper in prayer. You've got to get more established in the Word. You've got to keep going after God and going after God until it's done. You can't give up along the way. Those that give up along the way are those that get disqualified. They get frustrated. Lord, I just can't do this. 
get somebody else and they walk away from it and the Lord says, I'll have to get somebody else because you're walking away from it. If we'll just keep going after Him. See, you are the key to your destiny. But the Lord has to cut you like a key. See, what unlocks the door to your destiny is a key that is cut to fit that lock. You can't go up to any lock and take any key and just stick it in there and turn those tumblers. That key's got to be cut and be ready. And God has to cut out of you things. He's got to put in you other things. He's got to change you. He may have to change your personality. He has to change the way you think. He's got to do a work in you. And when you're finally ready, you are the key to your destiny. And once you're cut and made ready, then the Lord says, okay, now's the time. And He slips you into that. He turns you. And that door opens and you go right into your destiny. But you cannot give up along the way. I'm not one of those preachers that in any way wants people to feel like you have to be perfect once you're saved. I don't tolerate sin in my own life. I don't tolerate sin, period. I'm not going to justify it. I'm not going to wink at it. I'm not going to make excuses for it. God wants us to repent of it. Amen? But I also understand that there's a process. And that people that's come out of sin, they need to be brought through that process. The process of learning how to die to their old flesh. So people say, Pastor, cast it out. You can't cast out flesh. You've got to learn to die to flesh. They also got to go through the process of renewing their mind. Well, Pastor, pray for my mind. Help my mind. It's like, I'll pray for your mind, man, but you've got to discipline that thing. There's some things that I can't do for you and God can't do for you. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. And you, you dismiss those wrong thinking out of your mind, those wrong thoughts, and you, you make yourself think on what you're supposed to think on. When the enemy shoots a lie into your mind, you say, I'm not going to listen to that. Out. You throw it out and you think on what the Bible says. You renew that mind. You have to learn how do you, and see in a practical way, how do you die to the flesh and live according to the Spirit? It comes in your personal prayer life every day. How do you renew your mind? You've got to discipline that thing. We're used to, you would think about, you know, perverted thoughts or unforgiving, bitter thoughts. All day long, you're thinking about what somebody did to you. You think about thoughts of violence. Or you think about all these evil th- thoughts that enter your mind. You used to just entertain that. Now, as a Christian, you have to throw it out and quit thinking on that and think on what God wants you to think about. Get rid of the stinking thinking. And that's, you know, it's like a diaper. You don't take a little kid that just, you know, pooed their pants and you put a new diaper on top of the old. You don't do that. It may snuff out the smell for a little while, but pretty soon, everybody's going to know that you tried to cover it up instead of cleaning it up. Amen? You've got to take out the old stinking thinking out and put in the new. But there's a process that God's got to take people through where they learn how to pray. They learn how to die to these things. They learn how to overcome these temptations. You know, people, they, they struggled in the past where something would come to them and they were tempted and they would fall. But you learn how to overcome those things. When I first got saved and gave my life to the Lord, I was, you know, I had to give up smoking. I did. I'm going to tell you, man, at first when I was at work, people would smoke cigarettes. And I would, it would be difficult. Sometimes I would give in, even though it was like a, a nasty menthol for those that's ever smoked. You know what I'm talking about. It's just the desperation of having something. And then I would be convicted. You know, I say, oh Lord, what am I doing, you know? And same thing with other areas, but God helped me learn how to overcome those things. And I can't even remember the last time I had those things. 
But see, a religious demon comes in and tries to make people feel like you'll never measure up, but you will. You just got to stay with God. And I'll tell you something. A I, I, long time ago, I learned the principle. The Apostle Paul said, and some of you that's been with me a while, y'all hear me about this too. The Apostle Paul said, I could not be a bondservant of Christ and live to please men. You can't do it. And God delivered me from caring what other people think. If you truly care what other people think, you will never be able to do what God's called you to do. Because there's always going to be people that are like little devils out there that are quick to judge you, and criticize you, and fault find you. They don't even know anything about you. They don't know your heart. But they're, they're quick to throw stones and judge you. And they themselves have all kinds of issues. But you cannot care what other people think. Do not care what, how other people judge you. You don't need their approval. You need the Lord's approval. And if you have His approval, it doesn't matter if other people disapprove. So number one, you've got to have true holiness. Not religion, not legalism, but true holiness. Where God sanctifies and burns out of you all the old junk, all the old alcohol, the drugs, the sexual junk, whether it be idols that you had in your life, where you felt like you just had to have a girlfriend, you just had to have a boyfriend. Let Jesus burn that right out of you. The lust and the greed for money and material things. Some people live their whole life going after materialism. They have this lust. they got to have the nicest car and all these clothes and all these things. And it's a lust for these things. It's an idol. Let God burn out all that junk out of you. And set you truly free. But it's a process. If somebody has a sincere heart and they're real then I'll be there to help them through that process. But if they at any time start justifying their sin and making excuses and acting as though they're going to continue like that and they're not going to repent, that's when it's like, look, friend, you're just going to have to get right with God. Because once you're truly a Christian, you're not going to stay like that. You're going to keep going after God till He totally sets you free. The next thing is humility. First thing is true holiness. The second thing is humility. First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may lift you up in due time. Most people want to be lifted up in their time. Not in God's time. Most young people feel like they're ready about 20 years before they're ready. Most young people feel like they're ready to be used of God to do this, that, and the other way before God can entrust them. But there's a difference between anointing and gifting and true spiritual authority. Just because you have a little anointing on your life and because you can prophesy and you pray for somebody that's healed does not mean you carry a mantle to shift a city. There's a big difference, friend. But God is wanting us to be able to handle spiritual authority. The Bible says in James 4, 6, He gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I would ha rather have every devil in hell chasing me, the devil behind me with his pitchfork, all of them at one time coming at me than have God oppose me. 
If, but if God be for you, who can be against you? You need God to be giving you His grace to overcome. A lot of people struggle because of root issues of pride. A prideful person is somebody that has a very hard time being corrected. Truthfully, you know, Steve Hill during the Brownsville Revival had an altar call called the stench of stagnation. And, and he was talking about the, the stench of pride. And the reason why people wouldn't get right with God is because of their pride. And you know, that's so true. Pride, no doubt, is a filthy stench in the nostrils of God. There's no doubt. It goes up into God's throne as a foul odor. Somebody that's a prideful person, they're, they're overly sensitive. You can see it on them whenever, you know, you want, you want to tell them things to help them, but you know you can't because they'll hate you for it. And they'll hold it against you for years. I know this one man, for example, a pastor friend of mine went to him in love. And he was a very arrogant man. Later on, he actually was a church splitter type, just to give you an idea. A very prideful man. And this pastor went to him years before, like two or three years before, and in love, told him, said, listen, man, it was in private. He went to him gently said, listen, you need to quit going around bragging about how much you pray and talking about, you know, when you get up and you preach, trying to get everybody's attention on you and how spiritual you are and how everybody needs to be like you. He said, man, that's pride. That's not the Lord. And then the man, years later, this is pride, because a prideful person will harbor that for years. They'll resent that correction. Resent it. Went to that pastor years later. And was angry at him and lashed out at him. Said, I can't believe you told me that all those years ago. It's like, why can't the guy just receive that? And not to mention that if he is trying to get people to look at him and bragging all the time, that is pride. It doesn't take a lot of discernment. You see, pride causes people that you, uh, an authority figure will tell them, listen, you need to change this, you need to quit doing this. And they resent that. They may go, okay, and then they'll go home and it just it's like a seething resentment within them toward that leader. Who's really just trying to help. And you learn when you're in the ministry to be very wise about what you say to who and when. Pride causes people to be unteachable. They'll be in church for years and still be at the same spiritual level without advancing. And the, the way that pride works, obviously the spirit of Leviathan, is it creates a counterfeit move of the spirit that is emotional. Just because you get people whipped up in a frenzy that you can spit and yell and run and wave your little hanky, Okay? and get everybody all excited, everybody jumping up down, doesn't mean there's an ounce of anointing. It can be 100% emotion. You can stir a crowd. But see, pride, a person that's, that's full of pride knows how to function with that Leviathan spirit and, and whip a crowd up into a frenzy and it's all emotional hype. And they call it the anointing, but it's not. But humility causes a person to be a lightning rod for more of God when He shows up. When God shows up, I want to be a lightning rod. That if He's going to strike somewhere, I want it to be right where I'm at and get hit by more, more of God's power and presence. Amen? I've always loved that, the lightning rod. When God shows up, I've seen people that are prideful people, 
And I pray for people and I could see everybody around them getting hit by the power of God. And that one person's like, I don't feel anything. That's a bad sign. Usually that person's full of pride. And Leviathan has got those scales so tight together the wind of the Spirit isn't blowing in their life. Humility brings true promotion and honor from the Lord. Did you hear that? Humility brings true promotion and honor from the Lord. Jesus told the parable about the, the banquet table where the man was set at the head of the table. Remember those that sat at the head were the esteemed and those down here were not. Anyway, this guy comes in and he presumptuously sits at the head of the table. It was humiliated when somebody came to him and asked him to please scoot down. Whereas another person came in and sat in the lowly position at the table and was honored in front of everybody when somebody came to him and said, could you please move up to the head over here? Humility is like water. It always finds the lowest place to settle. It always comes down to a subservient place of just being willing to serve and roll up their sleeves and set up chairs and clean the toilets and they don't have a real bad attitude about it. They have a servant's heart. That's a humble person. A prideful person is always wanting to be noticed and to be in the limelight. A prideful person gets very frustrated because they always feel like that they're not doing more and being more publicly used and honored and recognized more. A humble person is okay with that. And the humble person is even okay if they're used of God and somebody else gets the credit. They don't really care. It's just about the Lord and Him getting the glory. Humility releases the grace to overcome what you cannot overcome on your own. There's people that say, Lord, I've been trying to overcome this. I've been trying to conquer this. And I don't know how. But if you'll humble yourself down to the ground and say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. Give me the grace to overcome. He will. Pretty soon you'll find that the Holy Spirit is arising within you and giving you the strength to overcome. Because He gives that grace to the humble to overcome. But an arrogant, prideful person will never humble themselves down to the ground like that. They will always be self-reliant and self-sufficient. Within their own minds, they think they are anyway. An arrogant, prideful person cannot imagine getting down on their face and saying, Lord, help me, I can't do this. Help me. And so therefore they cut themselves off from the very grace they need to overcome. A humble person is teachable, which opens them up to great wisdom from the Lord. A humble person will have great wisdom from the Lord because they're so humble and teachable. One pastor was talking about how all these young ministers would come into his church, you know, and they, they wanted to be involved in internship or different areas and, and all that, and that was great. But he got fed up, though, with the attitudes. Some of the most prideful places on the planet are seminaries and universities. And that's just the way it is. People get a little bit of knowledge and they think that they're just so smart now. The same way with Bible school. People think, you know, now I know a Greek word. 
Wow. You, you, I mean, you know, you're so special. Wow, I know a Hebrew word, you know. How about that? What about learning how to, to humble yourself, you know, and serve people and love people and do what God's called you to do? But anyway, he was talking about how all these young Bible school students were coming in and he was talking about how their attitudes were so arrogant. And he would sit back and watch some of them. Is there one that can be humble enough that I can trust to be used? And he talked about this one young man that his daughter, it was pouring down rain and she was trying to load a car and having to run from the inside carrying stuff out in the rain while he sat there just sipping on his coffee watching her. And he said that he was watching this unfold and he thought, how in the world can I use somebody that arrogant? That they can't even humble themselves to go help a girl in the rain. You see what I'm saying? This is good preaching, friend. This is the stuff you need to hear. We all need to hear it. So are people going to humble themselves? And humility also is tested. Many times God will allow things to happen that will rub you the wrong way. I've had people in my life that, man, at the time, I thought, dear God. But you know, now that I look back on it, they actually, there was a work there that God was doing. And I'm going to tell you, God will put people around you, He'll put leaders over you that, I've used this analogy many times, but it's like the rocks that David used, the smooth stones that killed the giant. They had to bump up against each other and knock the rough edges off. God will put leaders over you that their personality, their makeup, and the way they are will keep hitting that rough edge in you that either you're going to leave offended like a little crybaby or you're going to let that rough edge get knocked off you. Hey, the Lord told me just to tell it like it is. That's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to obey the Lord. Some people may like it. Some people may not. But are we going to be little crybabies? Or are we going to let the Lord knock the rough edges off and get us more like Jesus so that we can be giant killers? God looks at you. And God looks at you and sees like with Gideon. He sent the angel of the Lord to Gideon and said, Gideon, man of great valor. And Gideon literally looked around like, who are you talking to, man? I... Me? You know, I'm no man of great valor. You know, what are you looking at me? But God sees a giant killer. If you won't be a big crybaby that gets all mad and offended when he tries to knock rough edges off you. But if you're going to be somebody that's so easily offended, that goes off and cries and sulks every time somebody rubs you the wrong way, you harbor unforgiveness for years against him. You can't stand it. And God says, man, I, I see a giant killer there. But they still got rough edges poking all out of them everywhere. And so when I go now to get smooth stones to kill these giants, I'm going to have to use these humble people over here that have allowed the rough edges to be knocked off. And I'll just let that person sit in the river a little longer. <coughs> oh, Pastor Scott. Telling it like it is tonight. I'm speaking from experience, friend. I've seen some things. People that's been in ministry very long know exactly what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Are we going to humble ourselves and let the Lord purge out of us? Some people say, 
Pastor Scott, I'm still going through stuff. Well, God's not through purifying you. Bottom line. Amen? That's it. God's still doing the work in you. Are you going to give up? Are you going to get offended with God? Are you going to get offended with people? Or are you going to set your face toward the Lord and say, I'm going after God. It doesn't matter. Come hell or high water, I'm going to go after Him until He's done with me. I've had people come in here, oh, Pastor Scott, like shaking my hand off. Oh, Pastor Scott, I just love that what God's doing here. It's so awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, powerful. Praise God, man. I do too. God's, you know, God's such, oh, Pastor Scott, I just, I love what God's in His presence. Then you don't ever see Him again. You know? God can't even trust them to go to church. God can't even trust... <laughs> Listen, I'm just telling it like it is. It's like, oh, Pastor Scott, the devil's been chasing me. The devil... You're the last person on the devil's mind. If there's, if there's somebody that the devil's going to send after you, it's going to be that little beat-up little bitty demon, okay? God can't even trust them to pay their tithes, to be faithful. Every time they come, they get their feelings hurt about something stupid. Oh, so-and-so looked at me. Wrong. And then they're gone. It's like, alright. I'm sorry. Are we going to have deep roots? Seriously, are we going to have some roots about us? I'm going to tell you right now, people all around me could fall into sin. They, they could, whatever, they hate my guts or whatever. I'm still going after God. It doesn't matter. God's brought me through way too much. Years of, of the Lord allowing wilderness experience and persecution and and all the things. You have, friend, listen. I love you, but some of you that are young in the Lord, you have no idea. Lord, anoint me, use me. That's a good prayer. But be ready when He drops you in the fire and keeps you in there until all the junk's burned out. And during that time, you're going to be crying, Pastor Scott, what's going on? I don't understand. And I'm going to be telling you, well, you prayed it. You asked Him to use you in a powerful way. And he said, okay. There's a process that God wants to put us through, but I'm going to tell you, I've seen a lot of people over the years, not just at River of Life, other places, that have got knocked off course. Some of them, because of their pride issue, they're, they're way out of the will of God today. Others, because they couldn't forgive. They're out of the will of God today. Others, because they had a rebellious streak in them. Now, some people have a rebellious streak. Amen? That's a good place to say amen. Let me try that again. Some people have a rebellious streak. Amen. And God has got to get that out of them. And you know how God gets things out of people? He allows you to go through trials. And some people have such a fear issue. They're, they're so fearful they tend to control. They can't stand to be out of control. They want to control everybody. They can be control over everything. They're all under control. That's a tormented life. The Bible says fear is torment. That's a tormented life. Not only does it make you miserable, it makes everybody you're trying to control miserable. 
and God's wanting to get all that control and that fear out of you, I feel something tonight really with the Ahab spirit. Let me just talk about that for a minute. The Ahab spirit, this is not in my notes, but the Ahab spirit works with the Jezebel spirit, but what the Ahab spirit is, it's passive. On everybody, please give me your best ear. Don't let anything distract you. The Ahab spirit is passive. It's like a passive-aggressive thing. And the Ahab spirit will put things off and not deal with things that should be dealt with. Somebody that has an Ahab spirit, they know that they need to confront somebody and they need to correct somebody and they know they need to be firm, but they won't ever do it. And because they refuse to do it, what happens is, is that things then start getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Because they won't deal with it. And it's like the devil keeps taking ground and more ground and more ground and more ground because they refuse to deal with it. And we all know that sometimes it's difficult to confront people. Isn't it? There's not too many people out there that say, Oh, Pastor Scott, I love confrontation." I love for somebody to look at me and, with this hateful look and be mad at me because I'm having to tell them something. I love that. No, most people don't like that, okay? But you still have to do it even though you don't like it. An Ahab pastor will know that there's some Jezebel in the church that don't want to come under authority. She's going around gossiping. She's trying to turn people. And they know that there's a snake in the grass, but they'll never deal with it. And the whole church suffers because of it. There's usually in those type of churches, there becomes mass destruction. There becomes a, a spirit of infirmity in that church. That church comes under a curse. And they have turmoil in their relationships just because a sissy pastor won't deal with it. I've seen people that I've had to confront. And just like I said, hit that little rough edge. They didn't like it. They were crybabies. Off they went. You know what they did? They found them a girly man preacher that would tell them that they're okay just like they are. That's an Ahab. Girly man. <laughs> yeah, I said it. All right. But God is not wanting us to be passive about things. Don't put things off that you know you're supposed to deal with. The person that's got an Ahab spirit, they know. I love that movie um, with Kirk Cameron. What was it? Fireproof. I like that movie. And listen, he knew that that computer was a problem. But instead of being passive and letting it sit there, he got confrontational about it. He took it out in the backyard, beat it with a bat. The old man thought he was weird. How many seen the movie? You know what I'm talking about. But that is what I'm talking about. And Ahab will never deal with it. Did you hear me? And Ahab will not deal with the problem. They'll be passive and they won't deal with it. And so therefore the problem stays in their life indefinitely. I mean until one day they wake up and deal with it. The blindfold has got to come off at some point in their life where they realize I've got to stop being passive. 
I've got to stop letting things go that I need to deal with right now. I need to stop procrastinating things. I need to quit being wimpy about it. I need to rise up and deal with it. And some of these things I'm dealing with, Jezebel, they have some of it is, is generational curses. And it seems like somebody's doing good until they get married and all of a sudden they come right in contact with that generational curse. Now it's time to deal with it. Some curses are on cycles and triggers. That the second that you move into something, all of a sudden it kicks in. Now you've got to take it head on. You've got to break that curse, drive right through it, and deal with it. And conquer it. And it's hard. Because an Ahab spirit tries to work within a man, usually, to, to try to get them to where they're so beat down psychologically and emotionally that they don't feel like they have the fortitude within themselves to be able to rise up and do it. It's because they usually, if somebody has this Jezebel head thing, the enemy tries to keep Jezebels around that man to beat him down and tell him what a loser he is, what an idiot he is, how he'll never amount to anything, how much of a piece of garbage he is, and it beats him down psychologically to where he has a hard time really rising up and dealing with stuff. I just feel right now an anointing to break the power of Ahab. I feel it settling on this place to deal with this tonight. I do. There's some people you've been wrestling Ahab but you didn't know it. And God's about to break that. I'm going to tell you, friend, Ahab is serious. I remember one time I was so mad. I was in prayer. I was so mad at this Jezebel woman. Man, I was praying. I was like, Lord, I forgave her, man. I forgave her. I prayed about it. I forgave her. But I was like, Lord, help that husband. God, help him. And the Lord spoke to me and said this. He said, the problem isn't really Jezebel. It's Ahab. Because he won't deal with her. That's why she is like she is. That's what God told me. You know, we all gripe about the Jezebel that runs around causing problems. But what about the wimpy husband that won't deal with it? There was one woman, this preacher was telling the story, this one woman that was going around gossiping in the church and causing all these problems. So he pulls her in his office with her husband. He says, I hear that you've been gossiping and causing all these problems. You're making phone calls. You're talking to people. She said, no, I'm not. He said, well, I have it on good authority. You are, and I think you are. And you're going to stop it. And that, that husband just sat there, he said, like a whip dog. Never said a word. We're dealing with Jezebel and Ahab, friend. So anyway, she comes back and she's doing the same thing again. She's not going to submit to authority. You know what Jezebel does. So she's out doing the same thing again. Pastor calls her back in. Says, you're doing it again. She says, no, I'm not. Said, yes, you are. And you're going to stop it or I'm going to deal with it. She looked over at the husband. Little whip dog sitting there, never said a word. Did you know because that husband wouldn't deal with her? Did you know it escalated to the place she would not stop? She was causing so much hell in that church that he had to get up on a Sunday morning and publicly dismiss that family from the church and kick them out. Oh, friend, that's biblical. Read your Bible, Matthew 18. The husband wouldn't deal with it, so therefore the pastor had to deal with it. Gets up on a Sunday morning in front of everybody and says, I'm making up a name. Bob, you and your family rise. This is a true story. I know the people involved. Bob, you and your family stand up. Sunday morning crowd, everybody's here. I'm going to tell you right now, I've been. I've talked to you in private. I've dealt with you with witnesses. You refuse to repent. Pack up your stuff right now. 
Go out the back door. Don't come back. You're not welcome here anymore. You're excommunicated from this church. Adios. So Bob and his little family march out. The evangelist that was there to speak that day told, I was there when he's telling, I know the pastor and I know the evangelist. I know the people involved. The evangelist said that it was like a black cloud lifted off that church when they walked out the door. You see, some people, when a pastor has to obey the Bible and do that, you know there's some people in the church that would be mad at the pastor for doing what the Bible says and fighting the whole way. It's almost like, oh, pastor, we want that little Jezebel here. Now let me finish. Honor. So I talked about true holiness. And I talked about humility. Now I'm talking about honor. 1 Timothy 3.6 Talking about somebody in leadership must not be a recent convert. Or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Now how many people here would like to fall under the same judgment as the devil? Any takers? But it says that somebody that's a recent convert, this is a baby Christian. Everybody hear me real good. I'm telling you right now, if people don't know how to honor authority, there's some people that will give more honor and respect to a college professor or a secular teacher than they will pastor. If you don't know how to show honor and respect that you're so casual with authority, friend, God's not going to entrust you with authority until you figure that one out. That's just the way it is. And I'm not going to put somebody in a position of authority that's still, spiritually speaking, in diapers that they can't even show honor and authority to those in authority over them. Because the Bible says that they will probably become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. So don't you think it would be a bad idea for Pastor Scott to put them in a position of authority while they're still spiritually sucking their thumb and running around their little diapers? Hebrews 13, 17 says, have, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over those, over those as though they must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. There are people out there, Mario Marullo, however you say his last name, anyway, he said this, he said in his book, he said there's some people out there that are high maintenance, low impact people. some reason I knew that Reverend Anthony D would appreciate that statement. But that is so true. They are high maintenance. High maintenance. They always need something low impact. They can't do anything for the kingdom because they have no spiritual authority and God can't trust them with anything. But it says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. As those who will give an account do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that is of no benefit to you. Some people, it's a joy to pastor them. Some people, it's a burden. That's just the way it is. But those that it's a burden, it's not beneficial to them that they're being a burden. Because the pastor wants to pray, hear from God, flow in the gifts, minister to them. But instead of really being able to be used by God in their life, they're always going behind them having to fix this mess that they keep making. All the fires they keep starting. All the things they keep going on. But until people learn how to properly deal... See, what it is, 
America is not a submitting to authority type of nation. There's a pride in America, and there's a rebellious streak throughout this nation. And you see it even with little kids. They want to buck up against authority. Listen, I don't understand some of today's parents. Um, there's some things I want to say, but I'm behind the pulpit. I'm going to be wise. But I'm going to tell you, some, some parents today, I wouldn't, give, I wouldn't give a nickel for them. But what, whatever happened in to discipline your kids? you got little kids now that you know, you'll get on to them and they just look at you like, what are you doing? It's like, don't you get in trouble at home? But anyway, I need to move on from that. So, but there's a rebellious streak in this nation where people have a rebellious spirit about them. You can see it on the teenagers that come in to high schools. They have no respect for their teachers. You see it, you see it in church. People have no respect for authority. They're real casual. You know why Judas really fell and became a Judas and you know betrayed the Lord? Because he was so casual with the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus exposed him by saying he'll dip his hand with me right here. He exposed him because Judas was just casually eating off his plate. Think about that for a minute. Jesus could have exposed him so many ways. Why did Jesus expose him that way? Because he was showing he was so casual with him. There's people just flippant, just casual with spiritual authority. I'm saying this in love, but if you're casual with spiritual authority, you are a potential Judas and a potential Jezebel. And from this pulpit, I'm warning you that it's lurking in the shadows to take you out. Deal with it, friend. We've got to have honor. The Bible says to have honor toward one another. We need to learn how to honor one another. It kind of gets on my nerves the way people are always picking at one another and making fun and, and just, it gets on my nerves. I know people that do that. I don't like it. I usually walk in the, get in the other part of the room away from them because that's not the way we're supposed to treat each other as Christians. We're supposed to honor one another. There's, I've already said this, but let me just read on my notes. A lack of respect toward authority. It keeps people from ever being used of God in a significant way. So this is, as a pastor, I'm responsible for what goes on. You know why there's, there's a move of God and the presence of God, the glory of God is here? You have to protect that. You have to protect it. And how Satan has tried so hard to shut this thing down so many times. I'm telling you, most of you guys have no idea. No idea what we've had to weather to keep the move of God. But as a pastor, I'm responsible. And I, there's no way, there is no way that I would entrust somebody with any type of authority, title, position of any kind until they learn how to honor authority and submit to authority. Because it would be to their destruction. And God won't use them. God will look over them and use somebody sometimes that's less qualified, less anointed, less gifted, but they're humble and they're teachable. They know how to honor authority. And God says, I can use that person. But this person over here that's so flippant and casual with the pastor, can't even show authority, can't use them. Wish I could. Another thing is honoring fathers and mothers in the faith. One of the things that I saw during the Brownsville revival, how Steve Hill many, many times would get up, and Michael Brown too, and they would get up and they would talk about the historic revivals of times past. And they would publicly honor people like Duncan Campbell, Evan Roberts, William Seymour, and they would honor the fathers and mothers of the faith that paid a price for what we have today. 
There's something about honoring past moves of God, honoring the spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith, not just historically, but also moves of God, fathers and mothers that are alive today, honoring those moves of God, honoring those mothers and fathers of the faith, that causes things to go well for you and for you to have longevity. If you want longevity in a revival and you want things to go well in the revival, honor the moves of God and the mothers and fathers of the faith. Amen. The last couple things is we've got to honor the move of the Holy Spirit. Some of you that are new to revival and new to things, I'm going to tell you, there's going to come a day that you're, you're going to be shocked. Okay, I'm just telling you it's coming. When it happens, just be ready. You're going to be shocked at the price you've got to pay for revival. You have no idea. I didn't have any idea. You have no idea. The spiritual battle, you have no idea the persecution from people. What are you going to do? Just give up the move of God for it, you know, to please people? But we've got to honor the move of the Holy Spirit so much that it doesn't matter what the devil does, it doesn't matter what people do, whatever, we're still going to host God's presence and protect it. And there's some people that behind the scenes, most of you don't even know about it, but there's some people that I've had to run off and not allow back around here because they're trouble. There's some people that will be try to be used of the devil to try to kill the move of God in different ways. They try to control. They try to attack and persecute. But you've got to honor the move of the Spirit of God so much. It's got to have such a place of honor in you and in your heart that you're going to do whatever it takes to persevere and sustain the move of God and not allow the devil to steal it. I remember there was one person that I had to deal with it because I felt there was something there. But you've got to guard, you've got to protect. The pastor's job and those that work with the pastor's job is to have a staff and to have a rod and the rod is to keep away the wolves. And the wolves are not just demons. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, wolves are almost always people. And as a pastor, I'm not going to let the devil get into the children's church. I'm not doing it. I'm not letting the devil creep into the youth group. If there's some heathen teenage boy that wants to come in and the only reason he's there is to get girls in the bed, I will get rid of him so fast. That is not the reason that he's coming to church. I'm not here to see how many people we can get in a pew. I'm here to honor the Lord and to move and to see revival. And there's some people that don't like it. That's fine. There's plenty of churches out there where God's not moving. And I'm not going to let the devil creep into the worship band. I'm not going to let the devil creep into leadership. I'm slow about putting people in leadership. The Bible says to know those that labor among you. And the word know means intimate knowledge. Intimate knowledge. And that comes over time. Some people, they seem good. Then you give them authority of some kind and they get goofy, man. They, all of a sudden they're weird. And they get too big for their britches. And they don't want to listen to anything. You understand, I've done been down this road, okay? I'm not going back down this road again. I've had people that I would tell them something and they wouldn't do it. 
One guy, bless his heart, he, he always, I would tell him something, his wife would tell him the other thing, he always did that. And I had to confront it. And another thing we've got to do is honor God's Word. See, some people, they, they act like, well, I, I honor the Holy Spirit, I honor the Word of God, but you know what? You really look at their life and they don't. Because when it comes to things like this, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, to not even eat a meal with somebody that calls themselves a brother, but is a slanderer. Let's just pick on that. And, but yet, they'll sit and eat meals with people that call themselves Christians that are running down preachers. Friend, let me just call you a hypocrite if that's you. But you sit there and say, oh, Pastor Scott, I love God's Word. Really? Then why don't you do what it says? What about other scriptures in the Bible where you have to do the hard thing? God asks you to do something that's difficult. You don't want to do. Where it says, for example, to mark a divisive person and disassociate with them. Oh, but they're my friend, Pastor Scott. You don't understand. Oh, I understand. Oh, I understand plenty. I also understand that sometimes people refuse to do what the Bible says and it ends up taking them down with that other person. What about where it says bad company corrupts good character and you know that that friend you have you shouldn't have. Oh, Pastor Scott, I, I love church. I love the Holy Ghost. I love the Word of God. Really? Well, why don't you do what the Bible says then and quit hanging around them? Witness to them and if they don't get saved... They're not your friend anymore, okay? Because they're trouble and you know it. Some people, they know that that person is just dragging them down spiritually. They know it. But they, they love that friendship more than the Lord. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So, dealing with heaven's culture. How many people are really going to go after God? That I'll see you in revival two years from now. You, you know, I love you, friend. I love every one of you. But I'm telling it like it is tonight. There's an anointing on me just to do that. And that's what I'm doing. The Lord told me to. But it doesn't impress me that you're here next Saturday. What impresses me is if you're here two years from now next Saturday. Okay, it doesn't impress me that you fall on the floor. What impresses me is that you're going out winning souls. It doesn't impress me that you're here worshiping Jesus like this. What impresses me is that you're living the life. Are you living the life? Are you getting the sin out of your life? Are you putting God's word first? Are you going after God? It doesn't impress me that you come up and have different testimonies and things. That's wonderful. But what impresses me is whenever somebody can rebuke you and you take it the right way. And you're thankful. Doesn't the Bible say that better is a rebuke from a friend? Doesn't it say that? See, people always want uh, to be patted on the back and told how great they are. There's sometimes that that's needed, but there's also times that we need to be told something like, look, you're doing this, this, and this, and this needs to quit. Whew. Are we going to have heaven's culture, or are we going to be worldly? See, the world allows sin in the camp and doesn't deal with stuff that needs to be dealt with. Worldliness. Worldly churches are full of pride. Are we going to be proud people? Worldly churches are full of hypocrisy. Worldly churches. There's no honor. There's disrespect for authority. There's dishonor. 
Are we going to be like the world or are we going to be like a biblical book of Acts Christianity church? That's the question. Because, see, we're leaving one season and going into another. And every time we've ever done that, those that have been with me, they know that usually we lose people, gain more, and all that. That's fine. But where is everybody going to be a couple years from now? Because there's people that I've seen over and over and over in youth. People I've seen, adults that have been hit by the power of God over and over. Some of them have literally even had to be carried out. They're so drunk in the spirit. Where are they today? They're not even in church. They're not even in church. It's got to be more than just some superficial emotional hype. Jesus is not some drug that you come in and you go, pray for me and you fall out and it's like, oh man, that feels so good. And then you get up and it's like, that's all it was was just a feeling? What about a commitment that when times are hard, you're still living for the Lord? I just feel the Spirit of the Lord saying that we need to count the cost. Because I don't want to see people that right now are just, you know, hanging on every word. Oh, Pastor Scott, we love the sermons. We love what God's doing. And then what about a year from now? I've seen people do the same thing that you're doing right now that are now not even in church. Not even in church. Not even living for the Lord. They're in sin right now tonight on a Saturday night. We're no better than them. Where's the commitment to the Lord? Where's the marriage commitment, the covenant, that Lord come hell or high water, whether I have a good day or a bad day, whether things, maybe I get hurt at church, maybe somebody lies about me, whatever, I'm still going after God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if other people fall around me into sin. It doesn't matter if I lose friends. It doesn't matter if I'm persecuted. I'm still going after God. Those are the type of people that God can entrust with spiritual authority. Those that are going to go after God in secret. What about when nobody's looking and the devil whispers in your ear, some spirit speaks to you and says, nobody will know. What about those times? Those are the times that count more than you could ever imagine. Because what people do in secret show what they really are. Now I'm going to end with this. Modern day Christianity is not a lot like biblical book of Acts Christianity. It's just not in many ways. In biblical book of Acts Christianity, there's true spiritual authority through apostles and prophets and pastors, the fivefold ministry. And also God operates through spiritual fathers and mothers you see what I'm saying to the spiritual children? That's, that's the way you see all throughout the Bible. You see spiritual parents to children. You see the older women training up the younger. And you see true apostolic authority. We've got to get back to all this. Now I'm going to tell you, when the spirit of Elijah is released, the spirit of Elijah is in this church, but it may not be released to every person. When the spirit of Elijah, well, let me say what the spirit of Elijah is real quick. The spirit of Elijah is a fiery, prophetic anointing. It is also the spirit of revival. 
And it's the sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in His full manifestation as the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. When He can come in that way, that is the Spirit of Elijah. Now, the Spirit of Elijah comes when their spiritual parents and spiritual children, the hearts of the fathers return to the children, but also the hearts of the children return to the fathers. Because I've seen people that would go with a spiritual parent for a little while and then betray them. Are you hearing me? They became a Judas. You know, the Apostle Paul, you could feel the hurt whenever he wrote about Demas forsook him. You know, Demas was somebody he had discipled and poured his life into. Now forsook him, having loved this present world. It hurts when you're a minister and you see somebody that was a spiritual child. Now they're, they're out in the world or they've become a Judas and they may be at another church, but they were just a Judas in your life. It's sad. I'm going to tell you, Jesus himself, being the Son of God, still had, when all hell broke loose, had a Judas betray him that he poured his life into, had a Peter deny him, deny the faith, and had the rest of his disciples scatter. Out of twelve, the only one that really stayed with him through it all was John. John was there whenever he was on trial. John was there when he was at the whipping post. And John was there when he was hanging on the cross. But other than that one, the rest of them had their issues. So my point is this, just because you may love the Lord and be serving the Lord in ministry doesn't mean that you're not going to have a Judas, and that you're not going to have a Peter, that you're not going to have a doubting Thomas, and you're not going to have a Demas that forsakes you. But we've got to get to a place, God, Jesus restored them all in the end, we've got to get to a place where we have spiritual parents to spiritual children and ch children's hearts are turned to the parents. That that rebellious streak is gone. That they can be corrected. Man, when I was growing up, my dad and I had a, have a great relationship. But I'm going to tell you, every time she had to whoop me, can I say whoop? That's, that's Texan right there. He'll whoop me. You know, I still love my dad. But he had to get on to me about stuff. There's times he'd yell at us, what are you doing? You know, and he'd get on to us. And, but see, some people in church, a spiritual parent will be like, what are you doing? And they'd, oh, and then you never see them again. They go off and cry. Now they go to another church and they've started all over. They were so hurt at the previous church. They were so, so mistreated and just spiritually abused. It was so horrible. Somebody actually got on to them. Can you believe that? But that's the way some people are. They're such big babies that they, they, they cannot have spiritual parents because spiritual parents means discipline. And they can't handle the discipline because they're babies. Therefore, the spirit of Elijah is not really functioning in their life the way God wants it to. Did everybody get that? Somebody that can come under authority and have a good relationship with authority and can be corrected, can be rebuked, and be okay with it and still go forward and, and have a good relationship and grow. Those are the people that the spirit of Elijah is moving in their life. But people that are easily offended, big babies, they can't take correction. Those are the people that really, lurking in the shadows of their life, lurking in the shadows, 
circling the wagons of their life is a spirit of Judas and a spirit of Jezebel that's waiting to enter their life like a Judas. Remember it says Satan entered him, walked into him, and then he went out and betrayed the Lord. It's just waiting to walk right into their life. It's in the shadows. So are you going to be, this is what I close with, are you going to be somebody that's easily offended? That can't take correction? Or are you going to be somebody that God can entrust with the spirit of Elijah that can humble yourself and be corrected? At times be rebuked. Well, the Spirit of the Lord tonight so strong. But anyway, heaven's culture. God wants us to have heaven's culture in this ministry of holiness, true holiness. Not legalism, not browbeating, not condemnation, but true holiness where people love Jesus so much they're willing to give up whatever they need to give up. They need, they're willing to go through whatever process of sanctification, renewing the mind, dying to the old, whatever they got to do. To be holy before the Lord. They're going to stay after. They're going to go after Him with all their heart. They're truly going to humble themselves. And they're going to honor one another and honor the authority that God has placed over them. That's heaven's culture. Lord, come have your way tonight. Move in power.